Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of The Drive, a very special edition of The Drive. We're here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I'm hanging out with the, the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. Sean Kelly. Sean, what's up, brother? What's going on, Jason, man? It's great <laughs> to, to be cruising you, the Las Vegas Strip with yeah. you. Yeah, the, the temperature's dropped a little bit, so it's a little nicer. Feels so. good out here. God, it has been a long time. Was it? it feels like it's been a couple years since we've actually been able to jam with each other. Actually, I think it has legitimately been. <laughs> I think the last time we hung out was in Las Vegas at the uh, the Rockstar Conference. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Man. Hey, for everyone out there that's watching, listening, Sean, and you know, for the handful of people that don't know who you are, um, let's kick it off with a little origin story. Because I know you have one of the coolest ones out there. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> Sean Kelly, how did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Well, it's like <laughs> this, you see. I was in a finance office after getting out of the Army, and uh, I was buying a car to replace the one I had just totaled. And uh, I was probably a couple weeks from re-upping and just going back in. I was going in back. special ops, man. I, could, I was having a hard time as a civilian, you know, couldn't keep up with the bills and and uh, found out I just uh, knocked up my fiance, you know, <laughs> and then of course wrecked my car. And then, then the dealership ended up hiring me. They said, you should sell cars. And I'm like, really, what's that all about? And like the finance manager's name was Jeff Cash, you know, ironically. And he says, well, on a bad month, you'll make 3000 bucks. And I was like, well, man, that's more than I make getting shot at in Iraq. So <laughs> where do I sign up? You know, I was like, wait, and I get to go home at night. So yeah, that's how I ended up uh, selling cars at a South St. Louis uh, uh, Ford Lincoln Mercury dealership. That's hilarious. You know, we were talking about it earlier, right? But you know, people get into the business three ways. Either they're born into it, they stumble their way into it, or you get conned into it, right. you know? Uh, but it's so cool, you know, to hear where people start and where they end up, right? Now, I know a lot of the topics that we're talking about today, you know, you, you've, you've, kind of, you've become an expert on a lot of these topics, and I think a lot of it's because your experience both in the dealership operations, but also your experience, that experience in the military has given you that insight. Yeah. So I want to kick off our conversation today with, with leadership. And I, I like this topic, even though it sounds like an easy topic, it's really not, because in the industry, it's not really well-defined what it means to be a leader right. you know, in the automotive space. So how do you define that? Well, I define it completely different from most of the, the management in automotive. And I, I, this is where I kind of go against the grain. So <laughs> to me, a leader in automotive is not defined by how good they are. Mm, okay. I, it's not It's not about me being the best closer and the best manager who can go TO any deal and desk any deal. Leadership in automotive is defined by how good you are at making other people. It's that simple. So like if that. I've got a bunch of seven car, eight car salespeople, now that may be the norm depending on your inventory levels right now, but bottom line is this, if, if I have a bunch of subpar people on my team, then I would consider myself a subpar leader. Sure. And so, yet on the other token, if I my entire team is a bunch of top performers compared to the industry, uh -huh. then you could probably say I'm probably a pretty good leader. That would, that would make sense. Now I find, you know, there are people that are, are believers that, well, you're born a leader. To be a leader, you must be born a leader. Do you believe that? No, not at all. <laughs> I, you know, you can be born with some of the skills that make leadership, make being a leader easier. Yeah. For instance, you might be born with, with uh, the ability to listen to people really well. Mm -hmm. understand people well. You might be born with um, you know, a lot of energy which, and, and passion. 
so there are there are things that you can be born with but at the end of the day leadership is a skill that can be taught and trained and coached and i spent the first 10 years of my automotive career failing as a leader because i was the super salesman i wasn't i was a manager there you go close anyone there I you was go. definitely not the best leader in automotive and that's because when I got into automotive, you know, I brought that blind obedience, tell, sell, and yell to get people to do stuff. <laughs> I thought it would work out great as a manager, you know? Well, a lot of people still do, yes, right? Do. There yes, are still a lot of dealerships that operate exactly that way, you know? And, and I love the fact that, like, it, it, you said it can be taught, you know? But that, that takes a commitment. And you, you were able to teach yourself because you embrace your failures, Right. And I find that, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of leaders and you have too. And I found that that is actually a really consistent trait that goes along with leadership is that ability to own the failure. But that's that's hard for a lot of people. So wow. what kind of advice can you give to the people that that's a tough thing to do? Well, first off, to be the best leader in automotive, you've got to let go of any any insecurities. So when you meet all the, you know, all the, the uh, highfalutin ego like the big egos, I'm yeah. awesome, I'm this, I'm that. That isn't someone who embraces failure. That's someone who is insecure. They're, they are trying to be the hero, so they can always mm -hmm. stay on top. They're probably fearful of the piano falling on their head, the proverbial, like, <laughs> just getting fired, or, you know, they're probably fearful of maybe making a mistake and getting found out, and at the end of the day, man, that's, so embracing your failure, being vulnerable, is probably the number, one of the most important, important traits in being a leader. You have to be able to say, man, I screwed up, I failed, because exactly. when you take ownership, your people will take ownership, They'll they, then they're willing to grow and be introspective. And, and that sounds like a really good first step, too, because it actually sounds like one of the most important steps, it is. It, is getting to a place where you're comfortable with making mistakes, and then you kind of have to learn, you have to teach yourself how to learn from those mistakes. Right. But, I, so, so let's talk about that part of becoming a leader. Right, because yeah. how how can you know management out there learn from their mistakes? Well, let's tie in what you said about failure. Right, um, number one, if, if there are no perfect people on the planet, yeah. right, everyone knows that the last perfect person, but he walked the earth about two thousand years ago, and you saw what happened to him. <laughs> Point is, is he, since our employees know, and 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 if you're a manager, your dealer. Your dealer knows that you're not perfect and you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. So if you don't if you don't allow for people to see the mistakes you've made and the fact you learn from it, then they think you're a liar. They can't trust. How can you trust someone who's perfect when there are no perfect people? Yes. So let go of your need to be perfection or to be perfect, and and then and share your mistakes. Literally share your mistakes with oh, your team. See, there you go. Share. That's that's that actionable item that that's really key. Is that you know, I think too often. We don't learn from the mistakes because we hold on to them ourselves, right? And it's like, well, nobody needs to find out about it. Just shove it underneath, shove it underneath the rug, shove it underneath the rug. So sharing it. No punishment for the crime I if like you sweep that. it under the rug. You got away scot-free. But it's scary to share it with it. I mean, look, I, I know a lot of owners out there. I mean, I don't think I want to share any of my failures with them. I think I would rather shove it under the rug. Then, then you, know? you might be working, then you got to ask yourself, that's Are true. you working for the right dealership? <laughs> That's a very good point. But but let's actually take that from the dealer principal's perspective, right? Because, you know, there, I think there's a lesson learned there as well. Like, they want their management team to be leaders, but do they cultivate an environment that allows them to be leaders? Yeah. And how do we cultivate that environment? Man, that's such a great topic. And, and you know, it's so funny. We were just 
the dealer uh, principal that we were just hanging out with back at the conference, yeah. we were just talking about that because, so here you have young manager, he just moved up. He got promoted, now he's overseeing two of their dealer's five stores. Mm -hmm. His manager, the one that took over for him, is sending me texts at you know 10.30 at night talking about coaching conversations he's had with his employees that day and talk about how exciting it is and how seeing his people grow is impactful. And, and I, was, I was talking to his manager, who I'm here at the conference with, Tanner, we're speaking tomorrow yeah. on this topic. Um, and I was like, man, what is it, how does it make you feel to know that by you coaching Nick, that's his direct report, um, he is now perpetuating that cycle of coaching. He is now investing one-on-one -on -one time to develop the people on his team. And he's like, it's amazing. And creates this amazing domino effect. That's right. That's yeah. right. So if, if you lead, if your leadership routine, if you're doing the right things as a leader now, what happens is the people under you learn those routines. It's the law of the picture. People will behave the way they see in their leader. Mm -hmm. So when they become a manager, all of a sudden those actions and behaviors will be duplicated. Well, that makes sense. I know there's, this is a question that I had to ask myself uh, when, when, I, when I had my dealership, is do I, do I hire for leadership? Or do I hire to develop leadership? Well, if you're looking for the uh, the get rich quick scheme, then do number one. <laughs> okay. You know, and if you want measurable, sustainable, consistent, steady growth, you do number two. <laughs> number two is harder. It is. But nothing easy is worth doing anyway. So why would you go with number one? It makes sense, right? It, it, it does. I don't because... want to sound like I'm sorry. I get, no, I, no. I get excited about leading no, when we talk it's leadership. It's totally but true. I, I love guys, it. Guys, I'm not lecturing Jason, by the way. For the record, no, this man, I have the utmost respect for his leadership. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but I think that's a good segue kind of into our next topic is, is around coaching. And, you know, this is a topic that we both get heated up about, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Because it, we can create leaders, but if we don't develop them as coaches, they never see their true potential. And, you know, it's like we can train our staff and get them to a point where they understand how and what to do. Right, and we can create some elements of leadership, but you never get true leadership unless you're able to coach, and that's not a normal thing for us to do, right? I mean, we're humans. We're about me, me. you know. Right. So, well, what are some of the first steps in creating coaches within our management team? Well, first off, managers, we have got to learn. We have to start by taking a truly authentic interest in what our people want in their career, in their, you know, in their lives. I think a leader's only job is to know what each person on his team wants to accomplish in their, in their career, in their life, and to constantly be helping them move towards it. Yeah, because, I like that. Because think about this. It's the difference between, Jason, you need to TO more customers. Why aren't you TOing these customers? <laughs> yeah. or, or, Jason, you are trying to buy a house for your wife. You know, you and your wife are trying to buy a new place. Why can't you join me and, and let me help you by introducing me to your customers so I can get you the money you need to make That's by true. TOing the... And you can be mad that they didn't do it, but you're mad for them. Yeah. See the difference? It, it, managers always start off with what they want the person to change. Instead, we need to start off with why it's important to that person. And just by doing 100%. that, you know, what happens to the care? Like, you, how does that affect the, how they perceive you, your, your level of care for the employee? So let's go a little, go, go, let's go a little deeper. Like, give yeah. me an example, because I dig what you're saying, but I'm not sure everybody knows, you know, or listening, watching. Like, like, give an example of that. All right, so when you first, heck, before you hire an employee, right? Imagine mm -hmm. if you ask them a bunch of questions like, like, hey, where do you see yourself in three years? If everything goes perfect for your career here, what does success look like to you? Why is that important to you? Yeah. You know, how much money do you guys need to make and, and, and what would it mean for you if you could make that much or more? 
So you've got to learn, you've got to sit down and, and invest the time to learn about these, your, your team members, man. And then you got to ask them things like, how do you want to be managed? Mm -hmm. What do you see my job is as your man? How, how do I be the best leader for you? You know, what are your expectations of me as a leader? How oh, often gosh, do you want to sit I down wish, and, you know, I love that question, by the way. That is just such an impactful question because it, it spiderwebs out to so much opportunity. I gotta be honest with you though, been in this a long time, I've sat down with a lot of management. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say or ask that as a part of their hiring process. Right. Why, do you, why, why do you think that is? Because it's, it's uh, you know, I, I believe that we're still evolving out of that industrial, you know, blind obedience type of, of management as a society. Mm -hmm. And that it's just, it's a transition to make it about them. You know, it, it is, yeah. it's, it's different. It's servant leadership as opposed to top down management. Oh, see, now I like that. That's a term, see that, that okay. I wanna, let's dive a little bit more into servant leadership because that that's really kind of coaching in itself. That's, you know, it's like, okay, to, to be able to serve someone as a leader, I need to understand who they are and their objectives are, and yes, I need to coach them. I need to coach them through that. What are their so. yeah? What are their expectations? And then at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to coaching, Jason, you've got to use you know. So every coaching conversation is a gift for the person receiving the coaching. Yeah. A couple rules around it, right? Number one, it can't be rushed. It kills me when managers like you know if they're checking a box because they're and they're thinking about the next two deals and what we're having for lunch if you can't truly be in the moment and be present with that person, you are not effectively coaching them. That's a, good, that, 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 that's a great kind of like a one-on-one right there, right? Like you need to be in the moment. Uh, the phone needs to probably be disconnected, wouldn't Absolutely. you say? Absolutely. Um, you're not checking your emails or anything else. Like you literally gotta be one-on-one. -on -one. I like that. Right there with them, man. Um, in addition to that, the topic is always for them. How can we help you move towards your goal? You told me you wanted to be a finance manager one day. Gotcha. What's the next skill we need to help you master? It's not about what I need from it, being the management or the owner, or it's what they need from me first. That's how you straight you create that kind of that connection so you can get to a place where you can coach and lead them. That's right. Dig That's it. Right. And then and then you're and once the trust is there and they see you're trying to help them achieve what they want, what happens to the buy-in around those difficult conversations we need to have? Yes. You know, they, all of a sudden, now that they know it's for them, they're listening, they're bought in. I mean, it, it's like, hey, let's help you get that house. Let's help you get that promotion. Mm -hmm. Bottom line, like, let's talk about it right now, boss. And then you're like, what's getting in the way of you TOing? You know, or what's getting in the way of you call, following up these internet leads or whatever it is. And then, and then we're going in there, objective. Guys, the human mind defaults to the worst case scenario, yes. all right? <laughs> that is the default, fear, anxiety, worst case scenario. That is, that is lizard brain, all right? You've got to also ask yourself this, what else might be possible? Let's not assume that it's always something that they're being negligent on. Like maybe there's a legit reason. If you go into those conversations and you ask those those tough questions objectively and you're yeah. not coming from a place of judgment, that's the other thing. Let's talk about that for a second because this is tough for us car guys. You can't be selling when you're asking. That's true. You can't, right? <laughs> I hear. So like managers... You know why this is important, right? No, you're selling. You're doing a yes question like you'd be doing during a walk-around presentation. Wrong answer. <laughs> you have to go in there and say, how would doing that benefit you, in your opinion? So I'm talking I'm to a lot of dealers right now. And you know, and, and I think, look, a lot of people that are probably watching and listening right now, they're, they're in agreement with us, right? But, and you, you know that's coming, right? Bring the There's, butts. Bring the butts. <laughs> and here comes the butts. I love it. All right? But I have no inventory. I have no cars, I have oh, no I staff, this. but I, I don't have, like, 
it, it all comes out, you know, and look, and, and it seems like right now we're using this inventory shortage as, as the big butt for everything. Right. Why aren't we developing out better leaders in our, in our business? Why aren't we spending more time coaching? Because we don't have any cards. I don't know how that makes sense, but, but that does seem to be a pretty big issue. And I know you got some thoughts on inventory shortage. So I mean, we'll transition the conversation a little bit, but I'd love to kind of get your take on this. Yeah, man, I, I, this is such a great topic right now because as you can imagine, our, my company, Coast to Coast, pretty much our, our biggest areas of coaching right now, what our dealers are running coaching on mm -hmm. and the managers and the salespeople and the service departments, everyone there is all about what do we do about this inventory situation? How do I handle, you know, heck, about five, six months ago, I had a dealership literally run out of their GM store. They ran out of new cars, literally Done. ran out. They were like, Sean, we have three cars. And the manager, the GSM calls me up and he says, Sean, our internet closing percentage is in the tank. And then he's like, our, our phone closing percentage is in the tank. Listen to these calls and he plays three of them. And it sounded like, he's like, all my salespeople are trying to rush the customer off the phone. They're like, uh, I'll, I'll call you if I get something or keep checking our website, uh, whatever, right? <laughs> So he's like, you, we, we, we got to come up with something. So now at this dealership, we had created a coaching culture. And yes. so I, we were able to get together as a team, ask them, what are all the objections you're facing? What are, if we don't have a car to sell someone, what's a better option than saying like, I'll call you later or mm -hmm. check our website, you know, call back in a month or whatever. So bottom line is this, we came up with a whole new selling system for this dealership, and, and when I say whole new, I mean, we're, we're just tell, simply telling our customers, we'd like to be your one-stop shop and save you a ton of time from going lot to lot to lot or calling lot to lot to lot. Yeah. Come in here, we can we can trade one of our high uh, our high demand vehicles for something from a dealership network if the car's available. We can secure an in-stock unit for you. We can also, you can have first right of refusal on an inbound in-transit vehicle or we'll custom build and order you what you want. We have all these options, no one else does. It's like going to an Apple store, <laughs> yes. come and let us help you. And then, so all of a sudden, our appointment set goes up by double digits, our appointment show goes up by almost 40%. Mm -hmm. And of course, we start taking deposits and orders, we're taking customers off the market. But that whole process and the scripting and the objections, I didn't go in there with all that stuff in my head, we built <laughs> yeah. it together. Right, so, yeah. so they, the trust was there, everyone knew this was for their greater good, so they all bought into the plan. And this is, I'm talking an entire sales team, car salespeople. So did, did, did I mean, did everyone yeah. kind of talk about it collectively? Absolutely. So then there was some ownership behind it? 100%. Oh, see, there you go. That's awesome. We built it together. And, and, and then we, they, guess what else? We built the training regimen for this together. Ah. So for instance, how often do you guys want to do the phone training? What would that look like? What would make it positive for you guys? When do you think you can have the script done by? What there do you want the go. scorecard to look like? We built the whole thing. What metrics do you want to measure? How often should we check in and go over the stats together? So as a result of that, over the next, you know, now we're four months in and they have absolutely mastered and it's beautiful. They're taking orders, they're, they're making deposits, they're, they're buying more cars from their, that's another one, man. Getting your team on board with buying. Like we've got another store in Nashville who the entire team, we have 13 salespeople. Yep. Every one of them is value, their job is not sales consultant, they, are, they have a dual role, vehicle acquisition consultant, there we go. sales That's consultant. smart, I like that strategy, that's solid. And every one of them said, no problem, let's do it, let's build yeah. a plan, and now we're crushing it. Because most salespeople say, well, it's not my job. Not my job. Right. So what's your job? It's not what's my your, job. So what's your, what is your job? <laughs> so I'm curious, did, did the dealership go as far as like have to adjust pay structures and modify some things so that you know it became a part uh, that they're mo everyone is getting monetized from it. Yeah, on the on the purchasing so on the purchasing plan, there's all there was all sorts of really nifty stuff we've done. Like number one, um, we gave them goals and quotas. We gave them 
who they could call. We created scripts on what oh, to say. Yeah, I like um, that. We we also there's one used car manager, right? He couldn't handle all the appraisals, so we actually taught the salespeople to load the vehicles in the auto with the features and and put the you know put an initial bid on them and save it for him. <laughs> so they tee it up, and then they follow up with the titling and the you know there's a lot of work that goes into trying to buy vehicles. Oh, tons. And and these poor man, GSMs and used car managers are like like dying trying to one man show trying to keep their vehicle their their lot stock. Why I, I that? love that because you know I mean look I think for a lot of dealerships out there the we want to buy your car pretty much stops with a splash page on their website you know what I mean it's like yeah. they'll just they'll just put a big banner on the homepage we buy right. everything and then <laughs> put a little table tent in their service drive yeah something like that but it, it's it it's never becomes a part of their operations all right and a part of their culture and that's exactly what you did there that's. But it all came awesome. from, but, but check this out. It all goes back to one thing. What do you think that is? Working together? Well, well right. And knowing what everyone wants to accomplish. Because it all goes back that, to this. Yes, that's right. That's right. It's not like, it wasn't behind closed doors that this conversation happened, which, I mean, how often does that happen, right? right. Where, all right, behind closed doors, manager and owners are talking. Then they come out and go, we figured it out. Here's what you're going to do. We got it. <laughs> Here's what you're gonna do. <laughs> well, you know, they love being the smartest person in the room. That goes back to our first point, right? Are you a superhero sales manager where you, you're the smartest person in the room and you've got, or do you yeah. value your people? Do you listen to them? Do you invest time and energy into entrusting, empowering them? Yeah. Because man, you've got a team of people who can speak, you've got different age demographics, you've got different you know, genders and, and right, you can speak to their whole target audience through them if you leverage their strengths. 100%. But the only way to do that is to listen to people. Which takes yes. time. I, well, and that's that's the default answer. That's the other but, right? But I don't have time for this, Sean. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. What, what do you think is the solution to that? <laughs> solution not having time. Be smarter with your time? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you well, you know, Empower. Actually, I, let me think about that actually for a second. Do How do I get more of time back? Because I went through this, actually. I think we actually had a discussion around this a couple of years ago. And it was, we had this, you know... Especially on my side with the agency, right? Nobody wants to work with Jason. Got to have Jason. Got to talk to Jason. You're the guy. You, you're not Jason. I need Jason. I'm like, the orange you know, tie guy, Jason. So, you know, I had to go through that. I remember you challenged me, and I did it. And it worked out great. Is is I went through empowering my staff. That's right. You know, how, I had, how did I had you do to, that? Well, it wasn't easy. I'm going to tell you that, right? You know, and I, I'm I'm not nec- I wouldn't call myself a control freak, all right? Uh, but but I do kind of have this very high expectation of myself. So the way I execute what I do, it's just, it comes along with that. So I just had to uh, know that there were going to be mistakes made. Ah, look at this. That. You had to let your yep. people have permission to learn something new. 100%. 100%. It's so tough. Because and it was a little are... brutal. It was a little brutal. I'm not going to lie. It was a little brutal in the beginning. <laughs> was it? <laughs> yes. Were you like, I want to choke you, but I'm not going to. Well, I'm going to empower mean, you. There were some concerns I might lose some clients over it. You know, and it was just like, I just I had to actually push not only my performance managers, but also the the client themselves say, no, no, just keep, like, we have a great relationship, but you need to cultivate a relationship with this person too. And trust me, it's going to pay off, all right? Because you're going to have access to them a lot more than you'll ever have access to me. Um, so and you it know, was tough. <laughs> and, and if you think about this, you gave them permission to fail. Yes. Which in turn allowed them to learn because no, think about how many times did you fail at tying your shoes before you learned to tie them? Yeah. Every person on the planet goes through conscious incompetence before they become consciously competent at any scale. 
Yeah. Which well, means yeah. they have to fail. And the cool thing is, is by empowering them, um, we learned a lot from failing. Uh, but then they brought ideas and concepts to processes and efficiencies that I didn't even think of. And I was like, God, you're actually getting better at this than I am. What do I need to be around here for? <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So what were, what were some of the, uh, the benefits you saw from, like, after, after they learned those skills and became consciously confident? Well, here's the, the, I think the biggest byproduct I saw, which I thought was cool, is they got hungry. And, and I had to start creating a training program. And I think you see this sometimes at dealerships, too, is as, as staff become more empowered, all right, they want more. Give me more, right? So I had to go create training processes, like just things I wasn't even expecting to train on, but they wanted it because they felt that amazing, that amazing feeling of being empowered, which is a great segue into our next topic. We're talking about employee training, mm. you know? Yeah. Yep. And I think that's the fastest way to get buy-in with employee training, but I'd love to get your thoughts on it. For me, it was empowering them. That's what got me almost 110% buy-in when it yep. comes to employee training. Yeah, you, you've got to give them the rope to, to fail. And, th- and then once they start succeeding, then celebrating those wins, and then, and then, for, then asking yourself, now what can I do to add more value? Who can I, who can I pour into next? Because it, it, it is the difference between addition and multiplication. If yes. you are just being the super sales leader and super sales manager and closing deal after deal, there's only so much of you. You've got to scale your business by empowering your people. Dependency exactly. is, is a ceiling that you run into. To your point, um, you know your employees probably have all different skills, right? Um, they have different skill sets. Some are yep. better that, that one thing there. That you may have, like, let's take it to the showroom floor. You probably have one person that's a great, you know, negotiator, handles customers really well with the proposal, right? One you know, that does an amazing delivery, delivery that just goes right. over the top and understands everything. Oh, yeah. Someone who's amazing with internet leads. And, yes. but, but everyone's good at something, no one's good at everything, very few. Except the super manager, right? Of course. But, <laughs> but bottom line is the best thing you do is, is leverage your people's strengths, right? And, and I mean, think about it, if you know what your people want, you know who wants to move up in the organization, you know, okay, well, what's a requirement of being a sales leader? Well, probably to be able yeah. to transfer skills to people might yes. be one of your, your uh, requirements. So how about t- we take our future generation of leaders and we ask them to take their most effective skill set, probably, they're probably better in their strengths than even the managers, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then let's have you transfer skills to others. And then you can judge their success as a future leader by yeah. how good they are transferring their skills, how good they are at making others better. 100%. 100%. And that's your future manager. It's not the one who sells the most cars. It's the one who's the best at getting others to do what they do best. And you know what I thought was cool was my, my turnover. Just, I don't have, like, I was so worried because we had to lay some people off, right? But then I also had to bring them back. And I was just thinking to myself, 50% not going to come back. I just I'm just going to expect 50 to 60% not going to come back. Every single one of them came back. Every single one was excited to jump back on board, you know? And so I think there's, there's so much value in executing what we're talking That's about. because of your leadership, man. They wanted, to be, they wanted to work with you. They wanted to be close to the sun again, you know? Um, but you, that's a, that's, you, have to, you have to cultivate that type of environment for someone to want to do that. That's right. But, I mean, for any owner out there um, in any business, when that affects employee turnover, I mean, God, that's the hardest thing that we deal with as owners is employee turnover. Yeah, yeah. What, what the type of leadership that I'm able, I'm blessed enough to be able to instill in the dealers we coach, 
um, pretty much completely eliminates turnover. And I know that's a bold statement, but that, it, that is, it, I like it. Unhealthy. <laughs> it eliminates unhealthy turnover. Let's put okay. it that. What, what I mean by that is, if you think about it like this, right? There's a lot of fear going on right now. I mean, employees, people are yes. terrified. They're like, what if we don't have any cars to sell? Am I going to be able to feed my family? Yeah. If you if you believe that someone who has those fears and anxieties, and when they go to their manager and their manager's like, just keep selling cars, just keep. <laughs> You know, why aren't you selling enough cars? And they're like, I, and they're thinking, I don't have cars to sell, and we don't have a freaking plan. But when you collaborate and you build a plan with them, I mean, think about it. Yeah. Who doesn't believe in a plan that they built? True. Because it's that ownership fact, right? That's Even right. if the plan's wrong. Yes. <laughs> like, they will believe in that plan. Exactly. So, of course, the, it's guided autonomy. You know, the, the dealer, the, the senior leaders are there to augment the plan and make sure it's going to produce the desired results, at least as close to possible. But you build it together. Now, all of a sudden, they have confidence. It eliminates their fears. Yeah. And then, all of a sudden, they start charging forward again. Fear paralyzes. It's fight or flight, man. Yes. They either freeze up and they stop working, or they start looking for a job. They fly. Yes. So, so being a leader right now is listening to your people. It's being empathetic mm -hmm. about their needs and, and fears. It's knowing where they want to go and, and helping them stay focused on what they want most. Brother, anytime someone has fear and anxiety, man, can I tell you a really crazy coaching Please. convo I have? Yes. So, so the, the other <laughs> night, I get a call from one of my dealers, like, Sean, we really want to, there's a, a service advisor we're trying to hire from our competition. Yeah. Could you please coach, give him one coaching convo? We think it'll help, you know. And this gentleman had a heart of gold on our convo. He busts out in tears. First, Our first conversation. That's cool. And, and he tells me, he goes, I'm so scared. And I go, what are, you, what are you scared of, man? And he says, I have two severely autistic kids. And I have a daughter who's normal. And he goes, they can't even talk. He goes, my biggest fear is that my wife and I are going to die one day. And I'm going to fail to save the money needed to keep them afloat. And my daughter is going to have to take care of them her whole life. And her life's going to be ruined. He goes, I lay in bed at night terrified that this is going to happen. And I, so I asked him this. I said, real fear. I said, now that is a, is a possibility. I was like, it is a possibility, but what else might be possible? Let's go the exact polar opposite. Yes. Let's say everything went perfect. What does that look like? And he says, well, he goes, I'd be, you know, my kids would, uh, I'd, I'd be able to teach them. They'd be able to talk. We'd be able to enjoy a ball game together and go fishing together. And my daughter would be able to be successful. And he starts crying and his voice, his entire demeanor changed. And he was positive and, he, and I could hear it. And I said, man, you sound different right now. Why? What do you think was going on there? Well, you focus on the positive and not the negative. That's right, man. Instead of focusing on all the negative crap you don't want to happen, give people, help people have a clear vision of what can happen. Yes. And, and focus on that, man. That You want people magnetically driven to what they want to accomplish versus uh, chased away from fears and anxiety. Dude, that is one solid, solid golden nugget right there. I mean, that, and, and the cool thing is that's, that's not a crazy difficult thing to do. I mean, you saw, I mean, you just... You showed us how easy you were just kind of able to take them from a negative place and bring them over to a positive place just by getting them to talk about it. Um, this has been, I mean, we've covered some amazing topics, and this has been an awesome conversation. Who quits a leader like that? Who, Nobody who quits, quits a leader like that. Nobody does. Nobody. Now, I know we could easily jam for another hour on this. Um, but look, I think a lot of people are listening or watching this, and I, I think they would love to continue maybe this conversation with you. It'd be an uh, honor, man. What is the best way to connect with you? And any of you guys can shoot me a text anytime you want. Um, I'll always respond within 48 hours. So shoot me a text. So why are you good? About to, why, no, because you because I know you will. Yeah, that's absolutely. what I love about it. Like I know you will. <laughs> uh, I'll either no, I'll, I'll call anytime. Anyone back who sends me a text, you can text me at 314-323-8234. That's my awesome. Text. Or they can email me Sean S E A N at carmotivators.com, of course, Jason. 
Sean, this has been a blast, man. Thank my you honor, so much brother, for doing my this. Honor. It's so great to see you. I'm so glad you got out of Canada for a bit. <laughs> it's great. It's awesome, man.